Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. Amen. Thank you, guys. You can be seated. If you got your Bibles and you'd like to follow along on, with those or your devices, our scripture this morning is going to be Mark chapter 15. Mark 15, verses 33 to 38. Mark 15, 33 to 38. Now, while you're turning there, I want to preface my message this morning by saying that this is going to be a message of encouragement. That's the whole point of this message is to encourage you. Can I be, is it okay with you if I just be a little blunt this morning? We are governed by corrupt politicians. We are living in a cesspool of a culture. We, we kill our children in the womb. We literally have parades in the streets to celebrate our rebellion against God. And we call evil good and good evil. Listen, it, it is perfectly natural that any Christian living in the times that we're living would feel some discouragement. That's, that's perfectly natural. We need to be encouraged. I need to be encouraged and you need to be encouraged. Now, the question is, well, how do you do that? This past week, Kathy and I were watching a YouTube video where people were just doing these random acts of kindness for, for other people. And, and as I was watching it, I was encouraged. Uh, certainly, if, with all the bad that's going on, uh, you know, it, it's, it's nice to see people doing good. It's nice to be people stopping and just helping one another. But I realized something after, and I even teared up at a couple of them. I mean, they were real, real tear jerkers. But I realized something that, that when that was over is that type of encouragement is only temporary. You're, you're encouraged in the moment, but you walk away from that. It has no lasting effect. The fact is, as Christians, if we're going to be encouraged, there is only one way, and that is through the Word of God. It's only the Word of God that can truly encourage us. It's only the Word of God that can truly edify us and strengthen us and build us up. So that's what I'm going to do this morning. I want to use the Word of God to build you up and to encourage you, but I'm going to do it in a little bit different way. If you got your Bible, turn with me, Mark 15, 33 to 38. Now, I'm going to, as we come to verse 33, I want to set some context. It, when we come to this verse, Jesus has been on the cross for three hours. He was crucified. They nailed him to a cross at 9 a.m. in the morning. You come to verse 33, he's been on that cross three hours. He's lost blood from the stripes on his back, from the thorns that have been pushed into his skull, of course, from the, the nails that have been hammered into his hands and to his feet. He is absolutely exhausted. He's been, if you know anything about the cross, he has to push himself up to take a breath. He's been doing that for three hours. And we come to verse 33. It says, and when the sixth hour, that's 12 o'clock, had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, that's three o'clock, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. Verse 37, And Jesus uttered a loud cry, and he breathed his last. And then this odd statement, And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. You know, one of the things I've noticed lately is we don't spend as much time as we used to reading and studying the Old Testament. And you see, there's a, there's a problem with that. In fact, there are some preachers out there will even get up and say, we can do away with the, two, new, uh, with the Old Testament and just read and study the New Testament. There's a real problem with that, though. In John 5.39, Jesus said this to the Jews. He said, you search the Scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life, and it is they that testify of me. He said, you search the Scriptures. By the way, when he made that statement, there is no New Testament. The New Testament hasn't been written yet. So Jesus is saying, you are searching the Old Testament, and it's the Old Testament that, manif- uh, that, that uh, uh, testifies to me. It's the Old Testament that points to me. There are shadows and copies of things in the Old Testament that are pointing to me. Later in Matthew 5.17, Jesus said this, Don't think that I've come to abolish or do away with the Old Testament. I've not come to do away with it. I've come to fulfill it. So in those two statements, Jesus is saying everything in the Old Testament is pointing to me. Everything in the, in the Old Testament was a shadow or a copy, but the reality is here. Now this morning, you see, the fact is, if we want to understand who we are in Christ then we've certainly got to understand who Christ is. But listen, if you want to really understand who Christ is, you can't do it without the Old Testament. You need both the Old Testament and the New Testament. I want to give you one example of that this morning. I want you... Now listen, I know this is difficult for adults. One of the things I admire about children is their ability to imagine. There's something about it when we get old, we just completely lose that. But somehow this morning, I want you to put on your imagination hat, and I want you to go back in time with me. I want to go all the way back to 1450 B.C. 1450 B.C., Charlton Heston has just led the Israelites out of, I mean Moses. (laughs) Sorry about that. All the old people laugh because they've seen that movie. (laughs) Moses has led the Israelites out of Egypt. Uh, you know, if you again, if you've seen the movie or read it, you know the ten plagues, the, the, the parting of the Red Sea, the whole thing. And there's probably upwards of a million people. And they've got babies and herds and all kind of stuff. And so they move kind of slow. And about three months after they leave Egypt, they come to this place called Mount Sinai. And I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure most everybody here knows that Mount Sinai, of course, is where Moses went up on the mountain and God gave him the Ten Commandments. In fact, he gave him the entire law of the Old Testament. But while he was up there, God asked him to do something else. Exodus 25, 8. God said to Moses, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Now, this is an incredible statement. Because you've got to understand, you go back to the Garden of Eden where it says that God would come down in the cool of the day and walk with Adam and Eve. 
But after Adam and Eve are thrown out of the garden, God puts two cherubim at the gate to guard the entrance to the Garden of Eden. God doesn't walk with His people anymore. God doesn't dwell with His people anymore until now. I mean, it is an incredible statement. Make me a tabernacle. Make me a dwelling place that I can come and dwell among the people. And that's exactly what Moses did. He built God a, a mobile sanctuary that they could take apart and, and, and move to the next location and set back up. So this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to walk through that sanctuary. And I need you to, again, kind of put on your imagination cap. So let's say uh, the people have camped in this valley. And so we've been out, let's say we've been out, I don't know, chasing sheep or whatever we did, did back then. And we come over this little hill, you and I. And we look down in the valley and stretched out before us is the 12 tribes of Israel. And they're all camped. They got little tents and you see the smoke going up from the cooking fires and the kids are, are running around and playing. And right there in the middle of them is this enclosure. It's 75 foot wide. It's 150 uh, feet long, a rectangle. And it's enclosed by this white linen fence. Now... We, we say, man, I, you know, what is that? I, w- I want to go see that. And so we began to make our way down to it. By the way, fine white linen, this thing has is, is got 60 different pillars set in these brass bases. And between each pillar is a fine white linen curtain. Fine white linen in the Bible always represents righteousness. Revelation 19 says the saints will be clothed in fine white linen. So the idea is that, that here's this fence, this idea of this righteousness keeps us from the presence of the holy God. So no Israelite could just, it's like a seven and a half foot privacy fence. Nobody could just wander into this place. In order to get in, there's only one 30 foot opening called the entrance gate. So you and I, we come over this hill and we approach, we're approaching from the east and we see this gate and you can't miss it. Because the whole fence is white, but this gate is blue and purple and crimson. It's got these beautiful embroideries on it. So you can't miss it. And we start to make our way down to it. And we're walking through the tents. We see the people preparing their meals and getting ready. And we realize, as, as we look over, we see a flag or a standard. And we realize we are walking through the tribe of Judah. Now, by the way... In Exodus 27, uh, God specified two things. Number one, he said the gate will always face east. Every time you set up this tabernacle, the gate faces east. Oh yeah, by the way, I want three tribes to camp on the north, three tribes to camp on the south, three to camp on the west, and three to camp on the east. And one of the tribes that God specified would always camp in front of the gate was the tribe of Judah. Now I want to stop right there. You see, Jesus said, everything in the Old Testament is pointing to me. If we wanted to go to the tabernacle and enter through the gate on that day, we had to go through the tribe of Judah. Folks, it is no different today. If you want to enter the sanctuary of God, if you want to come to the presence of God, you must come through the tribe of Judah. More importantly, you must come through the lion of the tribe of Judah. This is why Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way. Nobody. No one comes unto the Father except through me. So even the way the people camped was already pointing toward the way of salvation that would come these many, many years later. So we make our way through the tribe of Judah and we come to this beautiful 
entrance gate. And it's always open. Anybody is, is welcome to come in. And so there's some men there and, and they open this gate and they let us come uh, in. Now, as we pass through the gate, there's something we notice immediately. We look at the back of that enclosure and there's a building back there. It's not that big, but out of the top of this building is coming a pillar of cloud. Just right out of the top of the building going up into the clouds. By the way, at night, that pillar would turn into a pillar of fire. And we know immediately that's the presence of God. I want to get back there. I want to see, I want to see that. But before we do, we've got to pass some other things. We begin to walk in, and the first thing we come to is something called the brazen or the bronze altar. This altar is seven and a half feet wide, uh, seven, uh, seven and a half foot square. It's four and a half feet tall, and it's got a horn on each corner. This is where the priest sacrificed the animals. This is where the blood is shed for the forgiveness of sin. Hebrews 9.22 says this, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. You see, a normal Israelite would take an animal like a lamb without spot and without blemish from their herd, and they would bring it, they would come in that gate, and they would bring it to that priest, and they would put their hand on the, on the head of that little lamb, and they would confess that sin, and then that priest would slice its throat, and that blood would be shed. It was a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing for, for people to have to go through and to see, but that's the way it was. That without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. You see, folks, I want to get to the back. I want to get to the presence of God, but you don't get to the presence of God without the shedding of blood. You don't get to the presence of God without an altar. You don't get to the presence of God without a sacrificial lamb. That's why John one twenty nine, Jesus walks by, John the Baptist looks at him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. You see, apart from that altar, there is no approach to God. By the way, let me tell you something else that's really interesting. I mentioned that the corners of that altar had a horn on it. And, and back in that day, if somebody was coming after you, pursuing you, maybe they wanted to kill you, you could run into the sanctuary and grab a hold of the horns of the altar and you were safe. It's like playing tag, right? It's like making it back to the base. And as long as you held on to that horn, nobody could hurt you. Nobody could do anything. You can read about this, by the way, if you want to go to 1 Kings 1.50. A man by the name of Adonijah, who was the brother of Solomon, after David died, he thought Solomon was going to kill him. And it says in 1 Kings 1.50, Adonijah was afraid of Solomon, so he arose, went, and took hold of the horns of the altar. Now you may say, what's that got to do with Jesus? 1,000 years later, a man named Zacharias, who's the father of John the Baptist, walks into the temple filled with the Holy Spirit. He prophesies this in Luke 169. And God has raised up a horn of salvation from the house of David. Folks, we walk through the tribe of Judah to get to the gate. Jesus said, by the way, I am the door. I am the gate. We walk in. Not only is he the lamb that is slain on the altar, he is the altar. Everything is a shadow or a copy pointing to the coming of Jesus Christ. We walk past the altar and about halfway between the altar and the tabernacle, that little building in the back, there's a big bronze bowl. 
It was made from the mirrors of the women. They, they did, uh, donated their mirrors and they hammered them out and they fashioned this beautiful bronze bowl and it's filled with crystal clear water. And what would happen, what that tells us is that even though we've been, our sins have been atoned for at the altar, we've got to be washed. We've guess what the priests would do. By the way, they spent all this time at the altar. Before they could go into the holy place, they had to wash their hands and they had to wash their feet. They had to be cleansed. By the way, the same is true for us today. We've, my, my sins have been paid for on the cross. They have been forgiven and atoned for. But every single day, my hands and feet are getting dirty as I walk through this world. And I need to be washed. I need to be cleansed. I need to be sanctified. But not with water. Ephesians 5, 25 to 26 says this. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. All of it's pointing to Jesus. By the way, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Jesus is the Word. So we're making our way in, and now we've, we've, we've come in the gate. We've, walked, we've, we've been at the altar. We've come past the bronze uh, basin. And now we come to this little building in the back. It's not very big. It's uh, 15 feet wide. It's 15 feet tall. And it's 45 feet long. It's divided into two rooms. The outside of it are uh, acacia wood covered in gold. So the whole thing is solid. When you look at it, it's solid gold on the outside. The top is, is covered with four different coverings. The first covering is this covering of fine linen. So if you walked inside, you would just see this beautiful blue and purple and crimson. On top of that is a layer of goat skin, then a layer of ram skin, and then a layer of badger skin to keep it absolutely waterproof. So we come to this little building and in front of us is another curtain. Again, beautiful curtain, beautiful embroideries and colors made with very expensive dyes. And when this is, we walk into this first room and this room is called the holy place. I think we've got a, a second picture of that right there. Inside of this room, we're going to immediately notice there's only three things in that room. Over to our right is a golden table filled with, uh, on top of which is 12 loaves of bread representing the 12 tribes of Israel. That bread was replaced every seven days and the priest, as they replaced the bread, they could eat the old bread as they stood in the holy of holies. I don't have to tell you in John six fifty one, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. As we look over to our left, we see a golden lampstand, what we know uh, today as a uh, menorah. By the way, there's no windows in this room. The only light in this room comes from this golden lampstand. Once again, the shadow has become the reality. John eight twelve, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever believes in me will never walk in darkness. We make our way to the back of the room, and at the back of the room, there's one more piece of furniture there. It's a, it's a, it's a golden altar. There's this beautiful aromatic incense that the priest tends to uh, twice a day that's just filling the room with this beautiful uh, uh, smell and smoke. And by the way, in the Bible, incense always represents prayers. Incense always represents intercession. You see, once again, 
the copy has become the reality. Jesus, or Paul says in Romans 8, 34, Christ Jesus who died and is at the right hand of God ever interceding for us. He's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. And he's our eternal intercessor. It's all pointing towards him. By the way, one thing you'll notice in that room is there's no seat. There's nowhere to sit down because the priest's job is never done. He's constantly, constantly, constantly offering sacrifices, constantly ministering. But in Hebrews 10, 12, the writer says this, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God because it was done. It was finished. Now, let's go back to where we come. We come through the tribe of Judah, which is pointing to Jesus. We come through the gate where Jesus says, I am the gate and the door. It's pointing to Jesus. The, the, the sacrificial lamb on the altar is pointing to Jesus. The altar, the horns of the altar are pointing to, to Jesus. The, the, the bronze bowl filled with that water that has to wash us is pointing to the word of God that Jesus will use to cleanse us and wash us. We come into the holy of holies, the bread, the light, the incense, all pointing to Jesus. But now... We finally made it back to the back. There's one more room. It's a small room. It's 15 by 15. And this room is called the Holy of Holies. This is where God dwells. Inside that room is where God dwells. This is where the, the cloud is emanating from by day and the pillar of fire by night. Now, let me tell you what's in that room. In that room is a chest. It's two foot by four foot. It's made of solid gold. And inside that chest are three things. Uh, one thing that's inside that chest is Aaron's rod or Aaron's staff. Uh, the other thing was a pot of manna, which was the heavenly bread that God fed the people with while they were in the wilderness. And the third thing in that chest is the Ten Commandments. Can you imagine? The Ten Commandments are in that chest. That chest is covered with a lid. Again, that lid is made of solid gold. There are two cherubim or two angels on each end of the lid with their wings spread overlooking the Ark of the, uh, Ark of the Covenant. That cover is called the mercy seat. The mercy seat. It's a funny thing, though. That it really has more to do with forgiveness and atonement and payment. In fact, the Greek word that's used for mercy seat is hilasterion. And when we translate hilasterion into English, we use the word propitiation. So in Romans 3.25, when God, uh, Paul talking about Jesus said, whom God put forward as a propitiation, what he's saying is Jesus was put forward as our mercy seat. He is our mercy seat. By the way, there's no light in this room. There's no light at all. There's no windows. There's no candle. But it's lit all right. It's lit with the Shekinah glory of God. Now listen, I can tell you what's in that room, but we can't go in there. There's no way. We cannot go in that room. Nobody goes in that room. Nobody can enter the presence of God. Nobody can go into the most holy Lord's place. There's only one exception made. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, the very high priest, the high, the, you know, the priest above all the other priests, he gets to go in that room. 
before he does, he has to wash himself all, with all these kind of, has to go through all these rituals. He has to dress a certain way. He has to make atonement for his own sins. And then finally, on the Day of Atonement, he, he sacrifices an animal for the sins of the people. And he takes that blood and he go, opens that veil or that curtain and he walks in that room and he sprinkles that blood on that mercy seat. By the way, when he's doing it, they got a rope tied around his leg. Just in case he did one thing wrong, they'll pull him out of there. Stone dead. See, I, I want to go in that room. You want to go in that room. We want to we see the glory of God that's in that room, but we can't because in front of us is a veil. This, this, this beautiful veil. And by the way, on that veil is embroidered cherubim. The same type of, of, of magnificent angels that were put to guard the Garden of Eden. And by the way, that's no accident. That's not a coincidence. Because you see, this room represents a picture of returning to the Garden of Eden. This room represents a picture of returning to a place where God will dwell among us. In fact, this room represents a picture of how it will one day be in the new Jerusalem. When Revelations tells us that God will come down from heaven and dwell with us on this earth. Where it tells us that there will be no sun and there will be no moon because God's glory will be all the light that we need. You see, there's coming a day when God will dwell with us, but not that day. Not in 1450 B.C. We are not allowed to approach the presence of God. Now, let's do a real quick history lesson and bring us all the way up to our scripture. I want you to jump ahead some 480 years later to 966 B.C. For 480 years, they used that that uh, portable sanctuary, 480 years. But finally, finally, after the time of David, they finally uh, subdued all their enemies in the land. They've got a time of peace and prosperity. And David's son Solomon builds the first permanent temple in 966 B.C. By the way, it lasts 400 years. A man named Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians come to Jerusalem. They completely tear down the temple. They completely destroy the city of Jerusalem. And they take all the people captive. About 50 years later, the Persian Empire defeats the Babylonians. And a man named Cyrus allows a Jew named Zerubbabel to return to Israel and begin to rebuild the temple. It took 22 years, but it was finished in 516 B.C. That was the second temple. And by the way, you know, he, they didn't have any money, so it, didn't, it wasn't anything like the initial glory of that temple. It stays that way for about 500 years, and a man named King Herod comes on the scene in 20 B.C., about 20 years before Jesus is born. And King Herod completely restores the temple to its glory under Solomon. That temple that King Herod, that, that temple, by the way, that Zerubbabel rebuilt, the, the temple that uh, King Herod renovated, that's the temple that Jesus was brought to as a baby. That's the temple that at 12 years old, he sat there and taught scribes and, and Pharisees, learned men much more studied than him. This is the temple that he walked into and he turned over the tables of the money chairs and, uh, uh, changers and said, you've made my 
uh, my, my father's house was a house of prayer. And you've made it into a den of thieves. This is the, this is the temple that Jesus walked in and out of for all the years of his ministry. By the way, the altar is still there. The bronze bowl is still there. The holy of holies is still there. The, the, the holy place is all still there. The veil is still there, separating common people like you and me from the presence of God until. Until one day on a place called Golgotha, the place of the skull. Until one day on a hill named Calvary, Mark 15, 37 to 38, and Jesus uttered a loud cry and he breathed his last and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The veil is torn. The veil it's torn. Do you understand what that means? That means the way back to the Garden of Eden, to paradise, is now open. That, that means the ability to walk into the presence of God is now open to everyone, to anyone. And that includes you and it includes me. Listen to Hebrews 10, 19 through 20. The writer says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is his flesh. As he hung on that cross for six hours and his, his body was torn and it bled and he died, he was tearing that curtain down. He said, it is finished. No more altars, no more sacrifices, no more curtains, no more veils. You don't need any of that. You got me. You got me. By the way, some 35 odd years later, God would put an exclamation point in 70 AD. The Romans came into Jerusalem and completely flattened the temple. Took up What happened? All the gold in the temple, when they set it on fire, it got melted down into the rocks. Remember what Jesus said when the, when the uh, disciples said, said, Lord, look at this temple. Look how great it is. And Jesus said, I tell you, not one stone will be left unturned. They even took the floors up to get the gold that had melted down into the seams between the rocks. They took down every single thing. There is nothing left. You go, and to this day, 2,000 years later, you, there's only left, there's only thing is a wall called the Welling Wall. That's it. You see, Christ sacrificed himself and removed the barrier between us and God, and it's over. Amen. We don't need the temple anymore. There is no more veil. Now, I said this morning I wanted to encourage you. I should be able to stop right now and sit down. That's all you need. The veil is torn. The veil is torn. What else is there to say? If you don't feel that, there's a good chance, I'm going to be honest with you, you're spiritually dead. Honestly, I don't know what else to say to you. If you don't feel what that means for us, do you not understand that our God is sovereign? Do you not understand that our God has planned this thing out to the nth degree? Do you not understand that it's always been about Jesus? It always will be about Jesus, which means it's about Him right now. 
It's about Him in America right now, in Florida right now, in Wakula County right now. There is nothing, nothing happening that He hadn't planned for. The nations are raging. The woke are raging. The politicians will rage and persecution may come to us. But let me tell you, be encouraged. In fact, Jesus said, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. It's all about him. I want to encourage three groups here this morning very, very quickly. The first is I want to encourage you personally. You see, you don't get out of this life without going through pain. You just don't do it. There's nobody here that gets out of this life without going through some type of pain, some type of suffering. Every one of us. Here's my encouragement for you. The veil is torn. The veil is torn. Listen to the writer of Hebrews verses, chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You don't got to have a priest to do anything for you. The veil's torn. Walk in. The veil is torn. Just walk in. You need help with your marriage? Walk in and ask Him. You need help in your family, your finances, your health? Walk in and ask Him. There's no veil anymore. It's gone. I mean, the way to the presence of God is wide open for you and I. That is, that is unbelievable. Here's the second thing. I want to encourage us as a church. You know, I don't know about you. Have y'all noticed how many people come in this church from the outside and they stand up here and said, y'all don't know what you got. It happened last week if you were here. They say it over and over. You don't know what you have. Let me tell you, River of Life, we have been given an incredible gift. Everything in me wants you to see this morning. There's a world out there living their lives on TikTok. And they got influencers and they're influencing millions and millions of people. And everything they do amounts to nothing. It's the banality. It's the frivolity. It's, the, it's, it's, it's nothing. They're not making any difference at all in anybody's lives for eternity. But you and I at River of Life, we know the truth. Those people could read that Old Testament and they'd have no clue what it means. But you do. You do. That is a gift. That is an incredible gift. We are ambassadors for Christ. We know the truth. We have the message. So I encourage you, River of Life, fulfill your purpose. Find your purpose. Men, be a man. Be a man. I don't care if you hunt. I don't care if you fish. I don't care if you go to ball games. But love Jesus way more than any of that stuff. Be a man. Make a difference for your family and a turn. Your children need you. Let me tell you, the hordes of hell are after your children. Don't, it, it is you standing between them and your child. Be a man. Be a godly man. Be a warrior for Jesus Christ. Moms, moms, you are awesome. But I'm telling you, you got to do more. You got to do more. You got to teach. You got to pray. You got to fight for the lives of our, our young people. I want this church, uh, I, 25 years, 30 years, I'll be gone. 
many of us will be gone. This church needs to be full of warriors for Christ. Teenagers, don't, don't fall for that stuff. It's a lie. It is an absolute lie. There's no fulfillment in it. There's no purpose in it. There's nothing in it. Turn to Jesus. Run to the altar. Grab a hold of the horn of the altar and hold on. Finally, and I close with this. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus. Listen, I don't care. Again, I can be blunt. Great thing about this is, you know, I can say anything I want to say and they can't fire me. (laughs) Because... I ain't the pastor, so you can't really do anything. (laughs) Listen, I don't care if you were uh, walked down an aisle 20 years ago or 10 years ago or five years ago. I don't care if you've been baptized. That's not what I'm talking about. Do you know him? Do you know him? That's all that matters. Do you know him today? Do you know him today? Listen, I I, I can tell you. How do you know? I can tell you one way you know, because you'd rather be on TikTok than you'd be sitting right here. You'd rather be on Instagram than in your Bible. Those things thrill you. Those things excite you. But the things of God do not. That's a pretty good clue. Let me encourage you. Stop spending money on things that don't satisfy. Stop spending money on things that don't satisfy. Stop laboring for things that will amount to nothing. The veil is torn. The veil is torn. All you have to do is walk through. That's all you got to do. Fall on your knees and ask God for forgiveness. And He will do the most incredible things in your life. You have no idea. He will forgive you. And He will wash you. And He will cleanse you. And He'll give you purpose. And He'll give you passion. And your life will never be the same. The way is open. Won't you walk through? Father, we thank you for your word. I say it all the time. Your word is incredible. God, I hope and I ask the Holy Spirit to take the word today and encourage the heart of the faithful. Let us see, God, that you, it's always been about Jesus. It always will be about Jesus. And it is about Jesus right this moment. God, you are in complete and total control, and we put our faith in you. I'm so thankful that I can run to the horn of my salvation, and I'm safe. They can do things to the outside, but they cannot hurt me. They can't, God. I belong to you. Lord, if there's anybody here, anybody that doesn't know you, doesn't really know you in a relationship with you, somehow, some way, God, open their eyes this morning. Open their heart. Somehow this picture of of an old sanctuary 3,500 years ago will somehow help them see that the veil has been torn. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200. or email us at info at rolcrawfordville.com. We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. 
in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.